Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We're continuing to study the gospel of Mark, finding and following Jesus. I wonder how many have ever heard of the line of books called Four Dummies. Some of you like those books, don't you? The slogan is this, learning made easy. They endeavor to take on complex concepts and make them easier to understand. That's why they put out these books for dummies. For instance, if you feel kind of like a dummy when it comes to math, join the club. You can read math for dummies. If you want to learn how to play a a complex instrument like the violin, like Miss Rebecca plays for us every Sunday, well, you can read playing the violin for dummies. You can read how to operate a PC computer for dummies. Or you can just not be a dummy and buy an Apple computer. Needs I go on? You, you can read how to perform surgery for dummies. And I hope my doctor does a little more than read the book. You could read how to be the president for dummies. Don't say anything. We all got a lot we could say right there. We're going to move on and just continue to pray for our government today. You can even read how to be a dummy for dummies. I mean, they literally have something for every topic, endeavoring to help us simple people understand these complex concepts. I want to preach to you a message this morning entitled this, Christianity for Dummies. Now, I'm not calling you a dummy. Don't don't get nervous. I think you're going to understand what I mean in just a moment. Have you ever thought about the complexity of following Christ? I mean, think about it. Our textbook, the Bible, it has 66 books, contains 1,189 chapters. It has 31,102 verses, and it has 783,137 words in it. That's a big book. They say there are 1,050 commands for the Christian to obey in the New Testament alone. Now, I don't know about you, that can be daunting, intimidating. It seems to be very complex. I mean, we'll never have all of those books and all of those chapters and all of those verses mastered or, or memorized. We struggle to even understand them all. So how do we truly live the Christian life? How do we find and follow Jesus if doing so is so complex? Well, Jesus is going to speak to that in our text. He's going to write his own version of Christianity for dummies. He's not going to dumb down the Christian life in the sense that that he's going to lessen the expectations of us. Or that he's going to loosen the standards. No, no, no. But he is going to make a complex concept easier to understand. He does this after being approached by a scribe. What was a scribe? A scribe was a professional scholar that specialized in the interpretation of the Old Testament law. They would have had like a PhD in Old Testament studies. But as smart as they were, they were known for complicating things. For instance, they developed a religious system based on the Old Testament that contained 613 laws. They chose the number 613 because that was how many separate letters were in the text containing the Ten Commandments. Then they divided that that list of 613 into 248 affirmative commands. Do this. One for every part of the human body as they understood it. 
Then there were 365 negative commands. Don't do this. One for every day of the year. Now you talk about complex. Apparently this particular scribe in our text overheard Jesus answering the Sanhedrin's complicated questions all day so far in the temple. And he was doing so with such brilliance that this scribe wanted to give it a shot too. He wanted to ask Jesus his own complicated question. He wanted Jesus' opinion when it came to the Old Testament law, something he was an expert in. Specifically, he wanted to know which of the 613 commandments were most important. Now, this is not an easy question. He said, Jesus, there are 613 commandments. You tell me which one is the most important out of them all. And you would think that once again, Jesus wouldn't know what to say, but he always knows what to say. Why? He's God. Look at verse 28. And one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now I want you to see what Jesus is doing. He sums up the entire 10 commandments with these two commandments, love God and love others. And it makes sense because if you study the 10 commandments, you'll find that the first four are related to our love for God. The last six are related to our love for man. So Jesus takes the section of scripture that the scribes had complicated and that they had made virtually impossible for the average Jew to follow. And he simplifies it. See, Jesus knew that 613 commandments are impossible to keep track of. He knew that they would never remember the 248 affirmative and the 365 negative commands. And by the way, we couldn't either. We can't even remember our kids' names half the time. But even dummies can remember this. Love God and love others. Now, you may be thinking, aren't there so many other things commanded of, uh, of us in Scripture? You even mentioned that in the New Testament alone, there's 1,050 commands for us to obey. How can Jesus say there's just two? Well, did he say there's just two? No, he, he says there are no other commands greater than these. In, in other words... If you'll primarily focus your Christian life on loving God and loving others, all the other commands in Scripture will flow from that. When you love God supremely and you love others selflessly, you have figured out what the Christian life is all about. And then you'll find yourself obeying all the other commands of God naturally from a heart of love for Him and a heart of love for others. That's what Jesus is saying. So let's talk about those two things for the remainder of the message today. Christianity for dummies, loving God and loving others. Jesus says the first commandment is this, love God supremely, supremely. Loving God supremely, according to Jesus' own words, involve a couple different things. First of all, it involves this, loving God for who he is. 
Because Jesus started by quoting what is called the Shema or, 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 or an expression that the Jews would quote twice a day and have memorized, taken from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 and 5. The expression was simple. The Lord our God is one Lord. Now study with me because it's important why Jesus, before he gave them the commandment, gave them this expression. Because the Hebrew word for God there is Elohim, which means supreme one. It means mighty one. It means there is no one like our God. You believe that today? He is one Lord. That means he's unique. There's only one like him. But then the expression says that he is Lord. The Hebrew word for Lord is Yahweh. That's his covenant name declared to his people when he claimed them as his own. Meaning this almighty, this unique, this powerful Elohim God is also a relational and a personal God. He's one God, but he's our God. Jesus is helping us to understand. Watch here. The basis of our love for God is God's love for us. Before he tells us how to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, he tells us why we should. Jesus is teaching us this. You love God with all of you because God has loved you with all of him. This mighty, powerful, unique, holy, one and only God that we sang to this morning. Listen, if you're saved, is your God. Not because you flippantly decided to make him your God. But if you're saved today, it's because he chose you. He pursued you. He drew you. He made sure you heard the gospel and his spirit helped you to understand the gospel. And when you did, when you made that choice to put your faith in him, guess what? He accepted you and he forgave you and he redeemed you and he adopted you. And hallelujah, he transformed you. Loving God supremely begins with understanding who he is. An almighty God, Elohim, and a personal God, Yahweh, that loves you beyond what you could ever imagine. And it's as you understand all that he is, that you will love him with all that you are. That's the second element of loving God supremely. You love God with all that you are. God's, somebody's Bible's reading out loud, Alexander Scorby. I love his voice, but I really want to hear mine. God's wholehearted love. I don't know what to say now. We got, we, got, we got narration of the scripture. We got the media team telling me what I have to sing. I might as well fold my Bible and go home today. I love it. Here's what Jesus is getting at. God's wholehearted love for us, watch here, should not be met with our half-hearted love for him. Did you catch that? God's wholehearted love for us should not be met with our half-hearted love for him. Jesus said that, that, that God is one Lord. He's undivided in his love for us. That means we should be undivided in our love for him. That's why Jesus uses the word all as the measure of our love. Are you getting me? Love God with all your heart, not some of your heart, not most of your heart. Love God with all that you are. What does that look like? Well, he does start with the heart. That's our desires. 
He says, love him with all your soul. That's our affections. He says, love him with all of our mind. That's our thoughts. He says, love him with all of our strength. That's our activities. All of those overlap. So the point is not to get in the weeds of what each and every one of those means. Here's the point. Love him with your entire being. We love God with everything we want. We love God with everything we feel. We love God with everything we think. And we love God with everything we do. He gets all of us. That's the first commandment. So then, if that's what it really means to love God supremely, here's a question for you. How do we know if we're doing that? When a preacher stands up on a Sunday morning and says, love God with all your heart. Doesn't that sound so Christianese? So vague? So hard to measure? So how do we know if we're doing that? Well, that's where the next command comes in. See, the scribe, he only asked Jesus to tell him the most important commandment. But Jesus told him the two most important commandments. Why? Because they're inseparable. They're like wings on a plane. You can't fly without both. The first commandment is to love God with all your heart. That's one wing. But you can't be a Christian unless you love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying, if you want to know if you love God, then ask yourself this. Do you love others? Because you can't have one without the other. That's what the Apostle John says in 1 John 4. This is a convicting passage of Scripture. If a man say, I love God, and hate his brother, what is he? A liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that's Jesus, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. In other words, if you claim that your relationship with God is right, but your relationship with one of his children is not right, then you're lying about your relationship with him being right. Your vertical relationship and your horizontal relationships, they go hand in hand. How do you know if you're loving God with all that you are? Here's how you know when you're loving others with all that you have. That's the essence of the passage. Put the commandments together. We, we walk home with this truth. When you love God with all that you are, you will love others with all that you have. Christianity for dummies. We can all understand that. We can all grasp that. Jesus, the scribe says, tell me what the Christian life is all about. And Jesus said, it's about loving my father with all that you are and loving your neighbor with all that you have. And that's what Jesus teaches next and really where we're going to apply the message. We love God supremely, commandment one. Commandment two, we love others selflessly. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. I know you know this, but I'll say it anyway. There's no one in this world you love more than you. Nobody. You might think you do sometimes, but you don't. When you're hungry, you feed yourself. When you're thirsty, you give yourself a drink. When you're tired, you put yourself in bed. When you're sick, you get yourself some medicine. Jesus is saying that whatever you would do for yourself, you should be willing to do for others. Now, this is where it gets practical because the, Old the New Testament epistles written to the church are chock full of practical ways that we can love one another. I'll give you several. Here's the first one. You can love people selflessly by serving them. Serve others. 
Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul references this. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The Apostle Paul reaches back to this very text. And he says, you really want to love those that you go to church with? You really want to love those you work with? You want to love those in your community that you serve with? Then you need to, you need to live your life serving them. See, the Apostle Paul connects loving your neighbor with serving your neighbor. Listen, this is written to a, a group in, in Galatia of local churches. That means that I believe our service toward one another ought to start right here at church. I thought I'd get a little bit of help right there. We don't come here to be entertained. This isn't a stadium full of fans watching the World Series. We don't come here to show off to one another. We don't, we don't come here to, to, to be critical of one. We come here to serve each other. To serve each other. I hope you came to church for somebody other than yourself today. There, there are so many ways that, 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 that members can serve here in an organized ministry at fellowship. It's actually one of our, our growth steps. I want you to find a place of ministry that, 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 that seems to be a good combination of what you're good at, what you're passionate about, and what others affirm in you. I want you to find those places in, in local church ministry. You can, I'll, I'll list a couple. You can serve in the nursery. Why is that the top of the list? Because we need nursery workers. Bad. Our baby count's going up again. And so we need our nursery count. Worker count to go up again. We have three nurseries. We run a nursery on Sunday morning during connection group, Sunday morning during worship, Sunday night during worship, Wednesday night during Bible study. That many different shifts of nursery have over 100 nursery workers. And we need more. It's a great opportunity for you to serve. It's such a selfless ministry. Watching and taking care of somebody that you didn't give birth to. I ain't interested in that. That's why it's selfless. There's children's ministry. There's bus ministry. We would have picked up close to 70 kids on our bus routes this morning. Kids that wouldn't have came to church had somebody not gotten out early this morning and picked them up. We need more people involved in that. There's greeters. You might have saw some of them coming in. Sometimes men in the parking lot. Sometimes people coming in. When you come into the doors there to say hi, to show you where you need to go. There's greeting ministry where you can serve people. There's the K-Cafe. Can serve people coffee, make their day better. There's live stream ministry, media ministry, choir ministry, maintenance ministry, cleaning ministry, lawn care ministry. Those are just a few ways that you can serve here at Fellowship. But listen, our service through our church, it goes beyond these walls. We call it liberal love. Loving people where they're at. So tonight we're not going to have an evening service because we're doing probably our biggest liberal love event of the year. And that's trunk or treat. There are over a hundred volunteers that are going to be serving through that ministry tonight. We pick a different public school every year and we go and wrap Christmas gifts for those teachers that serve in that building. Liberal love. We deliver goodies every year to our first responders. That's liberal love. You can get involved in all of these kinds of things. But even beyond what our church organizes for service opportunities, please listen to me. If you're a Christian, there should be a servant spirit residing in you. It just is the Christian life. 
There are several church members I know that that just absolutely thrive at this. They don't have to have an organized, structured ministry where they got to be here at this time in this room doing this thing because they're constantly serving people in everyday, ordinary ways. When they see a need, they meet the need. I want to encourage you when you come to church, be watching how you might be able to serve somebody else. When you go to work tomorrow, take a servant spirit with you. That's what Christians do. For a Christian, serving those around you shouldn't be below you. In fact, if the love of God is in you, it will naturally be poured out on those daily through service. Here's a second way you can love your neighbor as yourself. Receive them. You serve others, but then the Apostle Paul talks to the church at Rome about receiving others. Romans 15 says, wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So here's once again a a, a one another command in scripture that is tied to the word love. Paul said, Jesus loved you enough to receive you just as you were. Now you should love others enough to receive them just as they are. That word receive literally means, it probably means a lot more than you think it means. It means to welcome into one's home. It means to take someone into friendship and close contact. The reason why Paul chose this one another command for this church is because he was writing to a people divided. He was writing to converted Jews and Gentiles. They were incredibly different from one another. In fact, before they even got saved, they hated each other. So much so that at at the temple... The Jews got the inner court to worship in, but the Gentiles had to stay in the outer court. They couldn't even worship together, yet here they are, new Christians, learning how to be in the same room, part of the same church, pursuing the same spiritual goals. And this is why Paul tells them, get along. Receive one another. And he's talking about something more than shaking their hand at church. He's talking about doing life together. He's talking about forming true, close friendships with one another. Here's here's how I would say it today. Receiving somebody means inviting them into your circle. Now, I know that's going to throw some of you off this morning because your circle is protected by 20 foot walls. It's like the wall of Jericho. You have your tribe. Everyone else around you is treated nicely, but not the same. There's nothing wrong at all, nothing wrong with having a group of closer friends. But for the Christian, there's something really wrong when that circle is closed to others. Do you know there are people you go to church with every week who need a circle? They don't need you to just shake their hand. They need you to be their friend. One of the best places I believe for you to start is in a connection group. Get into a connection group where this large crowd has shrunk down to groups of 10 and 15 and 20 and 25 and 30 and and find a connection group where you can plug in and share prayer requests and, and, and invite them into your home and they invite you into theirs and you just learn to do life together. That's what it looks like to receive others. Let me give you another one. You serve others, you receive others, you support others. Are you with me today? Back in Galatians 6, 2 says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word bear means to carry, means to help. It means to 
support. The word burden means weight. It means load. Back in the Bible days, farmers would, they, they, they would, they would plow their fields. They would reap a harvest. And then they, they would have to hire help to carry their grain from the field to the barn. So you would often see servants walking from a field down a dirt road to a farmer's property and he's walking beneath the farmer's load. It's not the servant's grain. It's the farmer's load, but the servant picked it up and he put it on his shoulders and he supported him and carried it for him. That's the picture here. The picture is loving somebody enough to know when they're carrying something heavy in their life and being selfless enough to go up to them and say, how can I support you? How can I help you? What can I carry for you? And when you do this, did you see what Paul said? You fulfill the law of Christ. He's literally pointing back to this text again. He's saying when you do that, you're fulfilling the basic commandments, loving God and loving others. You know what that might include? Helping somebody financially. Somebody you know falls under hard times because they lost a job or because they ran into some unexpected medical bills. Listen, we all know that financial burdens are heavy. And if God has blessed you financially, you should be willing to support others as God leads you to support them. Find somebody and buy their groceries one week. Find a family with a new baby and go buy them diapers and formula for an entire month. Go find a family that brings children to church. Look at every one of their shoes. Whichever one needs a new pair, go buy them for them. Drop off a cooked meal for somebody one evening a month. Do something tangible for somebody else that will lighten their load. That's what Christians do. Bearing somebody's burdens might be as simple as volunteering to babysit their kids for an evening. How many know sometimes mothers just need a night to themselves? And oftentimes, they don't get it for weeks at a time, especially single moms. I'm personally burdened for single moms. Now, there are some moms that are married and they might as well be single because dad doesn't do anything. But that's another message for another time. I believe mothers in our church ought to be sensitive to other mothers in our church. And when you interact with each other, you ought, when you cross each other's path, the, the person, the demographic mom that you should be most sensitive to is, is, is the mom. The single mom that, that just might be carrying a heavy load that mothering brings. Somebody might be carrying a heavy spiritual burden. They're struggling with besetting sin. They, they need a brother to come around them and say, hey, let me pray with you about that. Let me walk with you through that. There might be some marriages in here that are under a heavy burden right now. The devil's attacking your relationship. You're, you're slowly fragmenting and disconnecting and you're, you're in a tough season. Hey, by the way, every marriage goes through those. They need constant maintenance. And instead of just letting it grow apart, I hope that we can be sensitive to those in our connection groups and others whose marriages are struggling. And we can say, hey, can we come alongside of you and help you through that? Let me give you one more. And this is the most difficult one to live out. It's forgiving others. Ephesians 4.32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiving, forgiven you. Amen. There it is, forgiveness tied with love. To forgive somebody means you release them of the debt they incurred at the moment they offended you. 
They don't have to pay it off. They don't have to pay it off with an apology. They don't have to pay it off with two weeks of you making them feel bad. They don't have to pay it off after you make a passive aggressive post about them on Facebook. It means you literally release them. You, you, because Christ, Christ paid off your debt. And so when they offend you, you pay off theirs. What does that look like? Well, the two words before it, it looks like kindness and tenderheartedness. You forgive somebody by being kind to them when they're not kind to you. It's basic. You forgive somebody by being gentle and tender and sensitive to them when they've been just the opposite with you. You might say, that's impossible. Not if you consider what Jesus has done for you. He's been so kind to you. He's been so tender towards you. He's been so patient with you. So forgiving. Listen. You need to comprehend today the love Jesus has shown towards you. And here's why. Because your capacity to forgive others is directly related to your comprehension of how much you've been forgiven by God. You can't claim to be in love with Jesus, but at odds with a neighbor. You can't claim to have the right heart of worship at church, but not be willing to to talk to a certain person you go to church with. See, this is one of the ways that you measure your love for God and others. How forgiving are you? How kind are you? How tender hearted are you? By the way, this is in the notes, but it's good stuff. We wouldn't have to forgive so much if we wouldn't be offended so much in the first place. Bible says love covers the multitude of sins. Reason why so many Christians are so bent out of shape and just can't forgive, won't go back to church, is because they got too sensitive in the first place. We need to loosen our belt when we come to church a little bit and understand that we go to church with sinners. And you're preached to every Sunday by one. And, and, and you're sung to every Sunday by sinners. And we need to have our eyes wide open that when we go worship, we're not going to a country club. We're going to real life people. Yeah, they might have their Sunday best on, but we're all broken people. If we'd have the love for our neighbor, that love would cover a multitude of their mess ups. Yeah, that's good. I should have put that one in there. I don't know how I would have phrased it. Get over it. I don't know. (laughs) Probably I'm talking about love. I wouldn't have phrased it that mean, but. So there it is. Christianity for dummies. Love God supremely. Love others selflessly. Why is this so important? I want to close by tying it right back to our mission of our church. We exist as Fellowship Baptist Church, any church, to help people find and follow Jesus. That's the Great Commission summed up in a phrase. Why is this love thing such a big deal to helping people find and follow Jesus? Because of what Jesus said in John 13. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. You want to know the most effective method of outreach we have as a church? You want to know what it is? Unity. Love. 
There's something special about a group of people who are very different from each other, but that genuinely love and serve each other that grabs the attention of a lost person. Because they don't see that at work. And many of them don't see it out in the community. And you sure don't see it on the news. But when you come into a church this size and people genuinely love each other, that is putting Jesus on a billboard. We can have a great music ministry, and I think we do. We can have a wonderful children's ministry, and I think we do. We can have clean and safe nurseries, and we do. Connection groups, church activities, trunk or treat events. We can have all those things, but nothing draws the lost to Jesus more than when they see Christians loving each other. You don't even have to have the Romans road memorized to be a good witness. Just love the person that you disagree with. Be kind to somebody. Be tenderhearted. Forgive when it's hard. And that is the gospel. So let me ask you, how well are you doing at being a Christian? How well? You loving God with all that you are? Really? And are you loving others with all that you have? If you've fallen out of love with God and you know it, then I hope that you'll come to an altar today. Confess that. Repent of that. Make him your first love again. And from that love will flow a love for your neighbor. God, help us to love God supremely and love others selflessly. Let's respond to the preach word today. Stand to your feet.